This episode of Your Neighborhood Black Friends is brought to you by Kelly's Olympian on Southwest 4th and Washington. This Thursday, September 2nd, check out First Thursday Hip Hop Showcase, The Thesis, at 9 p.m. Featuring Biana Baby, Mal London, C3, and Miss L. And then on Friday, September 3rd, also at 9 p.m., get some smart art, punk, and folk music with The Fourth Wall. Learn more at kellyslympian.com. And thank you, Kellys. Welcome back to Your Neighborhood Black Friends, Cameron Witt and Gregory McKelvey. And today we interviewed Tyrone Poole, the founder and CEO of OneApp. Super great interview. Excited to do it. Anyways, this was an inspiring interview. Uh, we are very loud during this one, so give us some grace. It felt like we were at a black barbecue, but Tyrone gave a powerful life story and showed truly when your back is to the wall, how you can rebound and make a transformative impact. So really hope that you enjoyed this interview and please make sure to stay tuned for our hot takes because we have a lot of great news to talk about. Taliban Olympics. Let's do it. Hey neighbors, here we are again for your neighborhood black friends. And we are super excited to be here today with entrepreneur, father, inspiration, Tesla driver. <laughs> See, I told you we Facebook friends. <laughs> <laughs> Tyrone Poole. Hey. What's happening? Yeah, I'm happening. It's good to see you, friend. Yes, I'm yeah. happy to be here. Welcome to the show. Are you, you must be tired. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm not tired. I'm shy. I don't know. Take me a second to get into it. Okay. Oh, we will get into it. <laughs> <laughs> what? I was saying, we always get to the shits. <laughs> so we're so glad that you're here. And you are somebody who has had such an amazing journey in Portland, um, given a lot of hope and uh, also just helping folks to be imaginative when it comes to housing in Portland and also now bringing this, you know, work across the country. So mm -hmm. I'm super glad to have you on here because you are really a game changer uh, when it comes to rental markets. So Appreciate yeah, that. you know, as the founder and CEO of one app, you know, tell us more about the work that you do. Well, one app, I mean, since day one, our whole goal was to try to help create access to housing. Mm -hmm. Started my own story, you know, where I was homeless and lived at the YMCA for a while and uh, got that award letter the first day I got there. And three months later, I had a letter in my pocket that paid rent anywhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was denied everywhere. Mm -hmm. And wow. that's when I was like, my goodness. Like, was that Section 8? Uh, no, it was a grant. It was a winter shelter housing grant. Mm. And so they paid rent for 12 months. Wow. And I got it the day I entered the shelter. The first day I get the letter. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll be out tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Three months, I'm still in the shelter with a letter that pays rent anywhere Wow, <laughs> in my pocket. And I just got denied everywhere. And I was wow. like, this is ridiculous. And so uh, um, I started working at the Y uh, for a while. I worked there for two and a half years mm. and then uh, worked for a bunch of programs after that. And uh, eventually I just was like, man, I got this idea. I got this idea. And then I pitched at a, at a contest in one first place. And they gave me the seed money to start my company. And since then I've Grown it to to help a ton of people get into housing, and we still do it every month. So, so, so what is the what was the original pitch? Uh, so the pitch that I gave, I was like, 
it was the the name of the contest was um, the Startup PDX Challenge, and it was put on by Prosper Portland, mm-hmm. which was PDC at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, it was it was like anybody who has. Uh, civic solutions or solutions some of our civic problems mm-hmm. right so and it was around housing energy uh food and it was like these five categories mm-hmm. right and so i was like i i'm applying you know for housing and i show up there and i go through all the rounds and i don't get cut from round two round three you know and then i show up for the final had you ever people. done a pitch before that was my first time Your first wow. that was time. my first time <laughs> right. all right i will tell you i got there were you nervous I got there the first no. day. <laughs> I got there the first day. And I remember, so I had, it was $125 for the application, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a lot of money for me back then. I worked at the Y. Yes. Yeah. So that's how much it cost Can to Can you apply. pay with voucher? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And I remember being like, you know what? I'm all in on myself, you know? And I, I paid the $125. And uh, I showed up. I was on the bus. Mm. I showed up there. And I remember there were cars in the parking lot that was wrapped with company logos, right? Mm. And I'm like, oh my God, like these people are like legit. And then I get inside and it's like teams of people with matching t-shirts and and like their tablets and all that Damn. stuff. I had That's a, not a startup. They already started up. <laughs> hey, <laughs> man, they looking for funding. So I end up, I have my 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 five page write up mm-hmm. and I thought I was doing something because I had the little plastic cover on the top and the back, oh, you know, no. like the not <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't regular plastic. Like I found a place that would print oh, on the God. plastic, so it had like the name of the thing on the plastic, and it had the little the the black pla- clip back, so you could actually like make it look official. Yeah, and that was my whole thing. And I remember standing in the corner, and all these people talking this lingo and business jargon mm-hmm. about you know what's your this and your that and your company's this. I didn't know nothing what they was talking about. I didn't know mm. nothing about the business world. I remember Catherine uh, Cognac came up to me, who I love to death to this day, and she was like, she was like, you look, she was like, what's your name? And I was like, Tyrone. She was like, you look like you're deep in thought. Uh, <laughs> and, and I remember thinking, yeah, I wonder how many crackers I got to eat to make up for the $125 I just spent on this, <laughs> this oh contest. Because yeah. it was like stuff in there. You know, I thought you were going to say how many crackers you got to eat to win. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Right? <laughs> but I pitched on the last day. I remember walking in because the last day was in person. Mm-hmm. And I remember the person in front of me uh, went in. And right when she went in before me, she, because I showed up for my time slot, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's like eight people around a table with a screen for people who had to who are watching that's not in the room, right? It's like a total of twelve judges, but like four wasn't in the room. And they come in and they they first thing they did was hand out the their papers to all the people at the table. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, I got one piece oh, of paper, no. right? <laughs> I got my copy. Uh, so I was like, <laughs> shoot. <laughs> And so uh, Stephen Green was like, hey, so Stephen Green was my guy. He's the one who told me about it. So, uh, because I went to the bank. But he ain't prepare you. (laughs) No, so he came and he was like, bro, you look, he's like, you look, you stressed out. What's going on? What can I do? And I was like, I was like, I only got one copy. (laughs) So he was like, (laughs) I gave it to him. He's like, I got you. He ran up, came back with with the copies. Now, mine, mine was in a nice little thing. Mm -hmm. He gave me these paper clip ones. And mine was color. Right, oh, and he man. gave me black he and white. Boy, he did not bring me color <laughs> copy. No. Do you like that? Yeah. yeah. You know what? We were gonna have Stephen Green on the show, <laughs> but fuck that. No <laughs> more. Stephen Green even blacklisted, and not a good way. <laughs> so he brought me my copies, and I'm walking in and passing them around, and and uh, 
Uh, I didn't go off of my pitch deck, though. But I remember being like, I work at the Y. I got 60 people in there right mm-hmm. now. And they all have a world letters that pay rent anywhere they want to live. Mm. 30 of them will be back in their cars at the end of this month because they will have not found a place that will approve them, mm. even though we're going to take care of their rent. Mm-hmm. Right? And I was like, we blame them on the same thing, that we don't have enough money. You know, we don't have enough staffing to support all these people. But I've been on both sides. Mm-hmm. I've been homeless, and, I can, and I'm an advocate now. I'm, I'm writing the award letters. I can tell you right now, no matter how many people we hire, mm-hmm. we're not able to support them very much past the point when we give them the award letter. Yeah. Like, because once I give you this letter, it's on you to go find a place. Mm-hmm. Right? And I, so, and I was like, a family advocate, the, 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 what we do to try to shave that curve is we got a little bit of an understanding of the mm-hmm. rental market. So I can be like... Oh, I know this company probably won't take you. This company might. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's the most we can do. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but if you win this, if I win this competition, I can build a tool that will be able to match any family to where they live in one day. And all I'm going to do is go out and collect the unique screening criteria of every single mm-hmm. management company in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put them into one database. And then I'm going to allow a renter to pull their background check. And mm-hmm. it will screen them against every single vacancy at the exact same time. Mm. And it will show people exactly where they qualify to live. The day they get their award letter is the day they get the keys to a new home, right? And that was it. And then they, I, they I left and I got a call the next day. I was like, you won the competition. I was yeah. like, ah! Yeah. So they, uh, it was. Did you even need those copies? <laughs> I didn't even open the deck. I, yeah. <laughs> I, it was the nice slide, you know, step yeah. one, you know, the whole deck. Yeah. But I didn't even, I didn't read the deck. I just did yeah. my thing up there and uh, I was nervous as heck. When I left out of there, my underarm pissed in my suit, which I'd, I'm telling you right now, the whole goal was to take that suit back when I was done with it. Yeah. There was no way oh, I could I take that. that. For my TED talk. <laughs> I did that for my TED talk. I rented a suit, yeah, but it wasn't you. a rental. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And I'm like, I damn, this dude so thinks he's sweaty. getting commission. <laughs> I was like, this ain't going back. This is stuck with me now. So, but yeah, man, that was, the, that was a big moment. I remember going into this this office space. It's like twenty. It was two thousand two hundred square feet, yeah. and it was built for like big companies. What did you yeah. win? I won cash. I won an office space. That like was how in, much? It was fifty thousand dollars for a friend. 50, yeah, fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, it was. Um, it was an office space mm-hmm. that was in downtown Portland on the. The top floor. Mm-hmm. And it was two thousand square feet. That's fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Right, and it was for twelve months. Right. Ooh. Oh, it was damn five thousand in legal. Come with a bed. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. It came, it came with everything. I finally got my voucher. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I got like all my legal fees. I got uh, Perkins Coie covered the legal cost for, for whatever I need yes. to do. I had, and they donated it. I had. Uh, like, so I had this parking ticket from last uh, year. <laughs> <laughs> right. How far do your your services go? Right. No, I did. They they took care of. Uh, it was, it was, they gave me the full, I mean, from accounting services that was like, they met with me and they were like, we're so excited to work with you on a project. We're going to give a hundred percent call, yeah. you know, free for the whole year, any accounting, bookkeeping work. And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't even know what I'm going to need bookkeeping. And then yeah. attorneys, Perkin Coos, like, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. Everybody gave me all the free services. Mm-hmm. It was the full wraparound. Sorry. So it was the full wraparound services for a business to be mm-hmm. developed, plus the space, plus the cash. And uh, I got in that space, and they were like, 
Because it was, it was meant for like a lot of companies. You uh, could tell because it was a big space. Meant with like uh, the folks, the t-shirts. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, 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 they uh, were expecting the whole gang with the t-shirts. Right. Yeah. And they were like, uh, you know, do you mind if we use some of this space for like the people who didn't win? That the runner up, so they can come use like hot desks. Uh, and so talky. I had the the mezzanine that like oversaw the whole down. <laughs> I mean, the mezzanine was only like four hundred square mm-hmm. feet, right? And the bottom was like the big space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you the overseer. I know. And I was like, <laughs> now I can look down on all the losers yeah. every day. <laughs> all the crackers uh, you had to eat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't like that. But it was dope though. So we we uh, got to share the space with the hot. So they use this hot desk for the mm. Wi-Fi and all that stuff. And they had, and I didn't use none of that because they had like a bomb coffee maker machine they had brought in there. Like they had <laughs> oh, all damn. this stuff, a refrigerator with, I was like, you I don't use none go. of this stuff. So you let the people <laughs> who come here use it. Right. <laughs> exactly. I never leave it. Right. And uh, it was a huge win yeah. for, for me. It was a huge win for the city of Portland because they right. got, a, 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 they gave a black winner, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then turn around and actually built a business that was yeah. successful, yeah. that grew, you know, the, Two years later, it was the fifth most promising tech startup in the world. Wow. In the world. In the world. Yes. 3,000 startups by 17, uh, 1776, Wide Combinator and Revolution. They put together a huge 3,000 startups worldwide competition every year. Mm-hmm. And we ranked fifth. Wow. One of us five. Right. So, I mean, and then, you know, 40 under 40 was... Oregon's most promising entrepreneur, mm. which is the first African American in all 25 years of Oregon's history. So I mean, all that from giving this one black kid a chance, you know, on a business right. inside the thing. So it showed that mm. you know it's worth giving. You know, we think outside the box, yeah. right? Yeah. So give us some of this, and and from that on out, I mean, I was I was hoping that was a black winner after black winner after that. It wasn't it wasn't the case. Welcome to but, Portland. <laughs> <laughs> But hey, it started off, right? And I was the second. Dream of the 90s is alive but they in Portland. Did, they, they did put an emphasis on minority. So it mm-hmm. did have, every year it was women and minority mm-hmm. in the winners. So it was... Um, I got to come up with an idea of shit. <laughs> it was good. Good luck. So. Yeah, they ain't going to give it to me. And now you come to me for all your thing. ideas. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. They're not going to give it to me anyway. Well, <laughs> well, I'm curious of the part that leads you, like, what was, who are you before that, right? Like, oh, like growing up, all that. Yeah, I was. Uh, background. So I always was a hard worker, like, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like, uh. I went to school to be a fireman. You know, oh. I got my EMT, my paramedic, my fire, my associates in fire science. I graduated fourth out of seventy-two in my class. Mm. Uh, I got into the fire academy on my first attempt. Now, most people don't know how hard it is to get into the you fire had academy. Copies that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's like <laughs> six to eight hundred applicants to be a fireman, and they take forty to eighty people. Wow. So that's it. That's it. And so you get, and then you, cause that's all that, that's, that's all they need. Then wow. you get into the academy and then only 15 to 20 people get jobs. Damn. So not only do you get into the academy, you still wash out, right? They don't wow. need the best. Of, it's so difficult. Why don't we do that for cops? Shit. <laughs> right. Exactly. It should be the same way. Yeah. But so you get a, you get a heads up cause they're, they automatically like, cause you don't have to, to apply to be in the academy. You don't need anything. Uh-huh. But if you have your your uh, fire science degree, it gives you a huge leg up because you yeah. understand how fire works, right? Yeah. If you have your EMT and paramedic, it gives you another leg up, mm-hmm. right? So I mm-hmm. went and got all these things so I could have more points. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I could run a mile in under seven minutes. Like I could do yeah, a whole too. bunch. Of, <laughs> then I could. <laughs> then I could. Now I can. Now I'm like 15 <laughs> minutes, right? But uh, I, was, I, was, I was fit. I was good to go. And I got into the academy 
And uh, six weeks in is when I, six weeks into academy, I tore my leg apart on a freaking crazy injury. That's how they fucking get you. Was like, hospitalized for almost nine months. Yeah, on the job or? Yeah, in training. I wasn't oh, a fireman yet. I was in the academy. I guarantee you I would have got the job. I was one of those people like, I will yeah. die before I get kicked out of this academy. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I will, Tyrone Poole's name is not going to show up on the cut list. Like, yeah. um, I would have died trying to get this done. So, wow. and I, um, Are you damn near to this. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> I, exactly. And then, uh, um, and that's when, I, after I got to the hospital, I didn't have nothing. They, you know, took all my stuff, and they, my car was repoed, and my, I, they, they, I got evicted. My Is family helped me put my stuff in storage. Or, all here. And that like, was because of the medical import, debt, or it, just you know, I wasn't paying income. bills. Like yeah. I was in the hospital, so yeah. my, they repoed my car. Wow. You know, from the hospital parking lot. Mm -hmm. And then well, I know. How my, long were you in the hospital? Almost nine months. Dude, to do that. Oh wow. Yeah, I was. I had my leg elevated by my heart for sixteen hours a day. 16 out of 24 hours a day, my leg had to be up, yeah. elevated. Wow. Um, and then when I finally got out of the hospital, I was on crutches for 12 months. Yeah. So I was unable to walk or unable to work for a year wow. after wow. being released. Wow. So there was, there was, that's why when I got into the Y, when I finally got out, they, because normally it was only given 90 days, mm -hmm. uh, like rental support and stuff, but they gave me 12 months wow. because they knew I was unable to work for mm -hmm. that long. Wow. Um, and so I was... But yeah, I was. I ended up losing everything I owned. I mean, I was Jeez. no, no, no shoes, no Damn. coats, like everything. Cause no my family, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> yeah, my family you, helped me put everything in a storage unit. Right. But then my storage unit got repossessed because they didn't God, keep up the payments. Dang. You was so, on Repo Wars. So it was bad. But uh, like it was, it was just part of part of the. The you know the history, but. but had that not happened, you wouldn't be where you are exactly, now. Exactly, exactly. I'm I mean, much higher for here now than I would be as a fireman. I can tell you that. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, and that shit kills you anyways. <laughs> yeah. Now there's fires all over the place. Uh, right. No, I know. Like, not only that, but don't they have like a lot of like their heart failure rates are high because they got to do all Everything that. Everything is high uh, for yeah. them, right? Like, it's like, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's yeah. like a stressful job, especially now climate change and stuff. Oh, I know. It's yeah. fires yeah. all the time. They be yeah. going for months at a time yeah. fighting and be still zero percent contained. What yeah. you out there for all day yeah. if you got zero percent? They didn't get their fire science <laughs> so, degree. Yeah. Curious, Tyrone. What was that feeling that you had? leaving the hospital for the final time that day, knowing that you didn't have anything Oh, I left. will tell you. So when I first left that hospital, I was like the happiest person on the planet. I no mean, they, fucking way. Because I, I, was, I was free. You get a brain injury too? I, no, I was free. And I had so much love and support. Broke. You were free. I, <laughs> I had so much love and support. I had people yeah. that was like, oh, Tyrone's getting out today. Like, mm -hmm. if you need anything. You know what I'm saying? Come to my house. You can stay at my house. People was like, bro, you ain't got no shoes but those? And I'm like, man, these are the shoes I came in with. And mm -hmm. he's like, uh, bro, I, I got some shoes. I mean, uh, my brother gave me some Jordans. Like, mm -hmm. I had people gave me a coat. Like, they was mm -hmm. like, I, I got you. The problem is that only lasts for a limited amount of time. Yeah. You know? It went from, from, bro, if you need anything, come by to, yeah. bro, Tyrone coming over here again. And like, listen, tell him he can't be washing his clothes over here. I can't be paying these water bills. I can't be mm. doing this. He'd be mm. drinking my orange juice and he can have that purple stuff in the back. Yeah, my you know? leftovers is gone. <laughs> but yeah. that's it. You know, exactly. Don't, don't. And that is so fast. Like, because I'm a, I'm a whole grown man. You know yeah. what I mean? And so I'm, right. I take a lot of, uh, like, I can't just. I can't just be small in your space, right? Yeah. The habits I learned from those 90 days, I, they stick with me today. Huh. Like, because they were so, I literally had to learn how to be invisible. 
because right. the longer oh, I was I there, wow. the harder it was. So I was like, I was like, listen, I'm yeah. gonna come there at ten o'clock. I'm gonna leave no mess, no nothing. Yeah. I mean, I would eat and then wash my plate, wash everything. I still do that today. My people are like, just put in the sink. It's a habit. Mm-hmm. Like I learned that survival meant I had to leave no trace or yeah. people could have a reason, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when I got up in the morning, I cleaned up all my stuff. Like I just made sure I was like, and then I made sure I was gone by like seven, eight. That way they'd yeah. be like, oh, he's already like not having to tell me nothing. And I live like that to give me like every little more day to mm-hmm. be somewhere, you know. And and eventually I had nowhere else, like nowhere else to go. So um, that's when the police found me. They found me on a. I was at the Mac station, and uh, I had walked there, and I was sick because I had so much internal bleeding because I was walking for too long, and so I had to elevate my leg. So I laid on the from that leg that you tore. So I laid on Damn. the ground. How and much I put time my did you have with friends and family? Ninety days. That was about it. In three months after getting out of the hospital, I, I went to my friend's house. And your house. leg was still fucked up. Oh, yeah, for another wow. nine months after that. Wow. But I went, to, um, I went to my boy's house that I was crashing at, and I got there, and all my stuff was on the front porch. So that was already a terrible sign. Um, <laughs> you know. And, I, and it's like 10 o'clock at night, and I, I didn't have no money, so I never took a bus. I got off the max. So I got off the max on 122nd, mm. right? And I walked to 142nd. Mm. You're using that fairly square. I'm way out of Fairless Square. I know what you're talking about. Though. I'm out on um near oh, Sandy, you know, 100, 100, 100, uh, I used to do that too. So like part of our, my story is that I was also homeless. And I remember, you know, my Fairless Square didn't end at Lloyd's. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it ended into the bear inspectors got on. You gotta go off the other door, right? Make a jump. But uh, I can't catch you. (laughs) (laughs) It is free, right? (laughs) And they ain't trying to chase nobody down. Yeah, they ain't that serious. Uh, But I was, uh, I remember walking in and I knocked on the door and I could smell they had just cooked. And and he was like, hey, hey, you're not going to be able to crash here tonight. And he was like, but I had no phone. He was like, man, I was going to call you. I hate you came all the way out here. And I was like, no, it's okay. And he was like, you know, you got to, you got to shake. And I was like, bro, I can leave Damn, first thing in the morning. Because I'm already nine. sweaty. I'm tired. I've been walking on his leg. And he was like, he's like, man, I got to be to work at 7. And my girl says she don't want to have to have this conversation with you in the morning. I was like, she ain't got to have no conversation with me. And he's like, I'm going to need you to, to, you know, shake tonight. And so I was like, all right. And he was like, but we made you a plate, you know. And he gave me this, this plate. It was like some fried chicken, mm-hmm. right? So all this stuff. So I took the plate and I had to grab all my stuff. And I got crutches. So I got... Big old bags, God, crutches, damn. and I started walking back to the max, and I had to stop like every little bit, and I start. So I sat and I ate, and then I got to the max station. Stop the interview. Yeah. <laughs> stop the time. I got out. to the this max too station, painful. literally, wow. and I remember I was sweaty. I was so lightheaded because I had so much. I had lost so much mm. blood into this leg, and so I remember laying down on my back, and as soon as I laid on my back, all the food I ate just. <laughs> gone, gone. No. I mean, I, it was just everywhere. And I just oh, was like, oh. And then I put my foot on the bench because I swear I was going to pass out. And then, like, don't, I don't know how much time went by, but the police oh. came and they were like, he was like, you know, grabbed me up and was like, what are you, what are you doing? And he was like, did you just, did you throw up here? And, and he just, he was going out on me. And then I, he, I sat on the bench and I was sitting up and I finally got to explain to him I had this leg injury and I just walked on it too long. And he was like, where you headed? And then I was, that was, that moment, mm-hmm. I was like, nowhere. Like, that was the first time I was like, I have nowhere. 
And so he was like, okay. So I was sitting in the back of his police car. He put all my stuff in there. And then he drove me to the Y. And then I remember getting to the Y and Dale Davis, the director of the YMC at that time, was there. And she uh, came out and she was like, I remember her being just doing this, doing this. Like, no, I forget. You can't see me on the audio. But waving her hands to him like, no, no, no. And I was thinking to myself, the shelter don't even want me to be here. And she was like, there is a process there. You know, there's you cannot just drop somebody off here. He needs to go through this thing. He was like, listen, he, I, he talked to him. She let me come in. They turned the lights on. Remember, the lights going off at like 10. It's like midnight now, mm. you know, and the whole gym got to wake up because I'm coming in and then they sit me, make me a little cot, and then I go back to sleep on it. And I remember that night was the worst night ever. Like, I remember being like, I, I, my, the throw-up smell was burning my nose. I remember taking my shirt off and turning it backwards so that way it wouldn't, like, I couldn't smell it anymore. And I remember sitting there being like, every single thing I own in life is in these garbage bags next to me. Mm. Like, how did I go from, from being this star right. that was about to, like, do everything to, to, exactly, yeah. to, to having everything I own in a garbage bag right next to me? And it's because I, I'm the oldest of eight, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Just a single mom. Uh, you know, no, it, it, I just had no safety net. Like when I fall, it's to the ground. Right. You know what I mean? Like there's no safety net. And you got a shovel. Right. Exactly. And that was, that was, uh, but like I said, I got, I met with Dale Davis the next morning. She was like, uh, I, I explained everything to her. I remember right when the lights came on, I was out. Like, I was like, she was like, Tyrone, you, you got to come back. You got to come back. And I was like, nope, I don't need to come back. I'll never be here again. Like, I don't want people here to see me. Like, I'm, I'm out. Because I still was prideful. SpongeBob SquarePants, 12 hours later. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm sitting in her office, and I'm so embarrassed, and I can smell myself, and I'm just like, like I just want to die. And right. she's just talking to me, and she's like, uh, and she was so dope. I, she's been a hero to this day. And oh. so then she was like, uh, um. I don't, she couldn't help me much with housing. So she sent me over to Africa House after she gave me the word letter. Cause I, after like maybe a week of being in the shelter. And so, and then I met uh, this woman who, oh my God, I'm about to forget her name. She is now the executive director of Africa House. Mm-hmm. But she remembers me to this day from mm-hmm. when I walked into her office. To this day, oh my God, Sonia, Son, Sonji. But yeah, she to this day when I go there, she was like, I still remember when you came into my office and because now we work with them from one app. Yeah. So mm. but she was like, I remember when you were sitting across from me and, wow. and I was helping you find a place. And I was like, I know. So but yeah, she gave me that letter that day and I was like, I'm finding a place tomorrow. And that's when I realized how freaking difficult it is when you got an mm-hmm. eviction that's three months old. Right. You know, mm-hmm. when you got credit that's destroyed, you ain't yeah, paid a yeah, bill yeah. and everything's <laughs> in collections. Yeah. When you got, you know, debt to your previous landlord, I owe this dude $3,000, $4,000. You know, like when you got all of this stuff, you know how terrible you look on paper <laughs> and you yeah. can't explain that away. Yeah. Like, and there was only a few places. Three months later, I go to a property. I see the lady putting the R sign in the ground. It's like a like an aplex, and I remember giving her um, talking to her, and she said the application fee is twenty five bucks. I was like, what? And I had already borrowed so much money in application fees. I didn't even know I was gonna get this from. But I was like, I'm gonna bring the application back. I brought it back, gave it to her, and when I tell you I was ready for when she when I saw a number call, you know, I got all hot, and I was like, because I've been denied so many times. Yeah. But I was like, I'm about to. I know what to say this time. I'm about to. Right when I answered, she was like, I just want to let you know that you're approved, conditionally approved with an additional deposit, but you're you're approved. And I remember being like, what? 
And when I talked to her, I was like, why did you approve me? Uh-huh. I asked her flat out. And what she said is why I built one app. She was like, she was like, what do you mean? She's like, you just met our criteria. And I was like, yeah. I just met your criteria. Cause I, cause the why it was so much uneducation. Like they were telling me, yeah. they were like, you have to dress nice. If you don't dress mm. nice, they're not gonna do it. You have to be able to be well spoken. You have to be able to be this and that. And that don't got nothing to do with it. That ain't, no. on the form. That ain't got that nothing ain't on the form. to do with it. But that's yeah. what they teaching me. I remember I went to dress yeah. to success, had them put me in all these stupid clothes that I didn't even like, <laughs> just so I can go apply to this property. And it got yeah, nothing to do with you nothing. Color copies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. She said, and I remember being like, Can you give me a copy of it? And she gave me a copy of the criteria. I went back to that, to that shelter and I remember reading it and I became a uh, junkie with screening criteria. I mean, it was like you can have you can't have more than seven accounts and collections, but we don't consider medical debt. You know, you you can't have you can't uh, do this. And I literally just met all the criteria all the way down. Yeah. And I was just like, do you know how random it is to find one of these? Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's just a it's like a shot so, in the dark. Yeah. And so I wrote this algorithm, and it was. It base it if you look at it, it looks like I'm a genius, but it's really simple. It just says the amount of effort like it I'm takes. A genius. Come on, man. It says the <laughs> amount of effort it takes for a person to find a place is dependent on what percentage of the market they qualify for. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So if I qualify for one percent of the market, yeah. that's ten out of a thousand. Yeah. Like the, and then so the second part of that, you know, that, that tells you you can use a standard probability equation to realize how many attempts it would take mm-hmm. for me to hit a favorable outcome, which mm-hmm. is one out of those freaking, you know, one out of a hundred. Mm-hmm. Um the second part of the equation is now that you understand what the amount of effort will take, and mm-hmm. effort is time and money, right? How mm-hmm. many, how much yeah. time, how many applications it will take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The second part is how much money does a person have? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How much time does a person have? If the amount of effort required exceeds the amount of time or money that the person has, mm-hmm. then the search for housing is going to end in failure. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. I don't care how many family advocates you have. I don't mm-hmm. care whatever. If it take them 20 attempts based on their background check mm-hmm. and they only got money for three applications, mm-hmm. they about to be homeless. Yeah. Especially like, if <laughs> they're it. on crutches. Or, exactly. You know, and that other one is time. Yeah. We have people who, who worked full time. Mm-hmm. That was in the shelter. And they like, man, I only can apply on Fridays. When mm. I can, and I got this hour window before I pick my kids from daycare. Mm-hmm, when I right. go fill out these three applications, but I can only do this much time, in 90 days, you got to be out the shelter. Mm-hmm. You're not going to make it if you don't have enough time or money. You need mm-hmm. both, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, that's, that's why I thought my concept would work because I was like, I reduced the amount of effort to zero. Mm-hmm. We pull your background check and we show you exactly where you qualify to live. So it took you zero time and zero effort you know, and, and, and money basically yeah. to find yeah. where you qualify. And with that, I can match everybody instantly. So that was the concept behind it. It didn't, it didn't work out to be as simple as that. It was mm-hmm. way more complicated. But right. in my mind at that but time, when I, when I didn't know housing yeah. very well, that was the, the key to access. Yeah. And over time, and my understanding grew and evolved, and I learned there was much more to affordability and other stuff that, yeah. that you know, risk, uh, but yeah. that was I made that freaking business exist. It still How long exists. ago was that pitch? That pitch, I I, I pitched September two thousand fourteen. Okay, and wow. I won Y'all the competition yeah. and I moved in to my own space and now January first two thousand fifteen. <laughs> Around thirty million dollars. Yeah, 
From trash bags to riches, <laughs> man. Hey, it, it was he a could have been a firefighter. Well, I definitely think they're going to be making some kind of documentary film about you. Probably not Will Smith, but maybe LeVar Burton, because they ain't laying his ass beyond Jeopardy, so he's got something uh, to do. But you yeah, can get, you uh, could get Idris Elba or something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, you know, like this problem that exists basically from people not being connected to the services that they're entitled to is the right word, but I know we try and avoid that word. But, you know, like, <laughs> right. but we're, uh, uh, like, when I was working in Atlanta, I worked with people um, living with HIV and AIDS, and they have the av availability of the HOPWA grant, the Housing Opportunities for Persons with AIDS hmm. grant, which basically guarantees that if you're living with HIV or AIDS, that, like, we'll pay your rent. But... Like, nobody knew, right? Like, you had to be lucky enough that someone told you to come into our right. office, right? And it, that's just, like, one example. There's so many things that I think exist. Uh, obviously, this is your idea. I don't... Mm -hmm. I can't yeah. read the shit. But, uh, <laughs> but, like, there's so many things I think that do exist service-wise that people are just disconnected to because government and services in general, whether that be grants or government or whatever, has a great way of creating things, but not necessarily uh, the best way of promoting way. those things. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. That's why government is, government should have no business in implementing ideas. Mm. Their job should be to find great people and fund their concepts. Mm. Because government is not, they're not equipped to run successful businesses. Yeah, that's not what they do. Two-year turnover, four-year turnover. Right, exactly. <laughs> they're, they're not equipped the to time. run successful businesses. What they're equipped to do is support successful uh -huh. businesses. Yeah. Like, that's it. Once they get into running the business themselves, like the, the government running the business, yeah. um, you, you got mean, stuff like unemployment. De depends like, on look at unemployment. That's a business that they Government programs are, are not all the same. Like Let's not make generalizations. Uh, so I can think of about some fucked up business strategies. <laughs> looking at you, Chick-fil-A. Well, yeah, like, I would, rather, <laughs> I would rather government be running healthcare, probably. Um, Tyrone, what's your opinion on that? Given that you spent a year at a hospital. <laughs> you know, so... So one of those things that government, I don't think, should... There are things that government... No, they shouldn't even run that. Government should work with nonprofits to work for, to, to build things, to, to solve niche problems, mm -hmm. right? Like, 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 access is a big problem, mm -hmm. access to housing. A niche yeah. of that would be, like, handicapped mm -hmm. people yeah, yeah, are yeah. having a hard time finding handicapped mm -hmm. units, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, nonprofits can do well with that. But... To use a nonprofit to solve the access to housing, that's too big. Right. Like nonprofits can't deliver on that. They need yeah. to have a business with a solid business model, right? Like investors, like mm. people need to run that. And healthcare mm. is too big. Like we do in Europe. That was sarcasm because that's what they do. So, like, what is your response yeah. to that? Because you know, you and I, we spend a lot of time together. We do agreeing to disagree. Uh, we do. Um, now this we is do. my podcast, so you got some explaining to do. Oh shit! Yeah, okay. yeah. So do it then. I have I have worked for nonprofits for as long as I've been in business. Right. I worked for nonprofits for nine mm -hmm. years of my life. Yeah. I worked at as a in housing mm -hmm. nonprofits. Four different American nonprofits over nine. Yes, American yeah. nonprofits over over nine years. I will tell you that we were so inconsistent like to, one day we have a program that right. does x and then we print out those books that you see all over the place you can get from mm -hmm. you know and it's like here's all the program people call us oh so you guys have a a, 
a food grant program. And you're like, oh, no, we don't have that no more. Yeah, I've made with those books. Right. Right. And called those people. I've done. And then all those people, one year later, don't do any of that stuff no more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's it's. Why, that's because why not, the Street Roots book only lasts too much, three months. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because nonprofits cannot be consistent because they don't have a business model, they mm-hmm. have donations. So they're very dependent on people to support that concept and as soon as people don't support that concept it doesn't work right like it's yeah. gone so and i hated that i hated that we would work so hard to build I mean, something and it disappeared businesses have cycles too i think it is a lot more individualized like with a business you've got your consumer base and that would be pretty stable compared to people in crisis. The thing about nonprofits is there's a oversaturation of crisis and an undersaturation of nonprofit resources. True, true. Well, yeah, true. And, well and, and then I think like, you know, there's a lot of people in business and I would say from what I know, you are one of them that are benevolent business owners, right? But there's yeah. also not that, right? Mm-hmm. Like there are also people, like you were able to carve out a path where you're able to yeah. have a business that also helps people, right? Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of people in business that are who mostly care to help themselves. And oftentimes it comes at the expense of others, at yep. the expense of the product or exploitation and of workers. that's where government comes in. To regulate. Yes. Okay. That's a great place for government. Like, because government, healthcare, mm-hmm. people are going to take advantage of that. Sick people, yeah. you have no choice. But the, when mean, you got a captive audience that's like, you either buy this or die. Yeah. <laughs> I can take you, I mean, I can eat you for everything you're worth, right? right? Yeah. Because what choice do you have? Right. And if government doesn't play a role in, in managing mm-hmm. that, you know, then yes, it will be... It will be terrible. People yeah, I mean, will be abused. we've seen so many people but become billionaires the, because of the pandemic. Uh, yeah. uh, and that's just messed up. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. healthcare is the best example. Mm-hmm. Healthcare is highly regulated, and yet we still see people being crippled by medical debt. And that's the reason why we have people proposing universal health care, because that is what's worked in Canada. Mm-hmm. But that yeah. is what's worked in Europe. You could have free health care without it being run by the government. Right. I'm, I'm, I, I think universal health care is a... I don't know why United States so behind. Okay, good. I yeah, like, sure. no, I don't know why they're okay. so behind. Right. I'm just saying. Yeah, there's a middle ground there between yeah. government-run healthcare where everything is yeah. like the VA versus like right. just health insurance <laughs> right. being free or mm. a public option. Yeah. Like, there's all sorts of different right. ways. Don't to run get. the hospitals, but you can you can manage you can regulate the system for the the, the money because taxpayers are paying that. Yeah. So but the government got to be involved. Theoretically, yeah. though, if the government runs the hospital, that's the people running the hospital because we mm. are supposed to run the government mm. in an ideal world. I mean, now mm. that's all fucked up because of money and politics and stuff like that. But, say, like, yeah. but, uh, but like, ideally, when government runs something, that means we run something because... You we, would think. We, you would think. Mm, yeah, but people no. in the government are like... Well, shouldn't we strive for that? <laughs> I know that's not the reality uh, now. But right, like, it's not. It's not. Government is full of people trying to line their own pockets. Right. Too. It's not the government's fault. And their donors' goddamn pockets. forefathers. <laughs> they wrote a shit constitution. <laughs> they, wrote a, they wrote a constitution that depreciates value over time. See, I uh, use some business uh, language. Yeah, I'm doing yeah. good. 
and yet there's some other folks who are like, oh yeah, that was a great constitution. Don't ever change it. That's dumb. <laughs> now we should what, revamp. What that if shit. we had yeah, like a startup <laughs> deck for a government revolution? Uh, right. You know? I right. think that's the thing about business is like they have those opportunities to make big changes. Yep. Government's being told that it's broken and it's corrupt, but it's really because we've not allowed government to update to our 21st century ways of living. Yep. Yep. There's also a lot more regulation, I feel like, of nonprofits than there are of businesses. I mean, depending on what business you're in. But, I mean, like, there's a lot of businesses mm-hmm. where you get a lot of fucking free reign, and there's basically no nonprofit where you get mm-hmm. complete free mm-hmm. reign. I, I, I think the, the, the model the yeah. church. There you go. There you go. The nonprofit church. CEO in the <laughs> yeah. room. It's yeah. just really challenging. Well, I'm when a board chair, so. Mm. Okay, tell me your expertise with the nonprofits. <laughs> I've worked at nonprofits too. Yes, please tell me your expertise. I mean, I'm not a fan of See, working instead for of nonprofits. Instead of letting me talk, because I've been at ED for five years straight. Okay, cool. You know what? You do your thing. Thank you so much. Again, for me, it is the fact that people in crisis have only a couple places to go. There it are more five businesses. Years there was a little gap in there. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> you're trying to play me. I know you're <laughs> the size of our business community, and it's not like, and the, you know, their privilege is that they're instead trying to attract customers, nonprofits, they're basically just trying to keep the hordes at bay. You know, that is the reality. Like, yeah. Imagine it's like fucking what is it Game of Thrones? You got the ice zombies, and that's what it's like. Well, so, All these people who need assistance, who need right. therapy, who need uh, utilities paid, who need uh, public safety, advocacy, mm-hmm. that, whatever right. they need. That's in part your problem because you're you're good at being running nonprofits and stuff. No, there. every well, no, there but he's also tackling a very big problem. Oh, yeah, Someone is going to be like, fail. "What can you do for me?" But a lot of nonprofits fail. Yeah, and, never and it's get not off their the fault. Stuff. The problem yeah. is not the nonprofits. The problem is that we are living in a time where society is so morally bankrupt that we have so many people living on the brink, and the best that we can do is throw scraps to some nonprofits, and we're setting them up for failure. And that's the issue. Even our organization, which is doing strong. We've learned how to work with failure. That is not something that I applaud. It's just yeah. the reality. Right. Um, yeah. You know, like, your story is, like, I think super inspiring, but then it makes me think, uh, like, even you said, the next year it wasn't And then the billionaires like will be like, oh, mm-hmm. see, look, we gave money to the Y. Well, Didn't that work what, out? Like, see, we did what the Tyrones of the world what have a, But hope. what about all the Tyrones of the world that, you know, Don't never fuck, made it yeah, out exactly. of that hospital situation? Which is literally or most just of them. Well, 99% exactly. of them. Exactly. 99% of exactly. them. So how do we make more of yous? Right, so you gotta. That's that's why I'm. That's why I'm saying nonprofits. They work off of a finite amount of resources, right? Because they don't have a business model. So there's no model that says the more what? people we help, what business model? Not true. Is to nonprofits have business models, but they're just not the same sustainable right. model. They don't have yeah. a sustainable model, right? Yeah. They're not right. market driven solutions. Yeah. They're sure. solutions that come from somebody writing a check. But if it was market driven, that is what the market is. <laughs> See, no, we about to get a no market driven is like that listen. Market driven solution. So for example, for example, I'll give you an example. One app launched a product called One App Guarantee. Right. Mm-hmm. We had a ton of people being denied to housing, mm-hmm. and so. Um, so, uh, and I, there was, there's a, right now there's a, there's a fund in Portland that is called the, uh, Rentwell, not Rentwell, Ready to, Ready to Rent, Rentwell, one of those, Ready to Rent, mm-hmm. 
One is a course where you can take, and then yes. they will pay a portion of your. They they will basically cover some of your risk if you were to yeah, get evicted. Yeah, short-term assistance. Exactly. Yeah. So like, hey, I rent this place, but I have a this guarantee from the government that mm-hmm. if I don't, and I'm not successful, mm-hmm. they will come out of the woodworks and write you a check mm-hmm. to help cover some of this risk. Mm-hmm. They have seventy five thousand dollars in that fund, mm-hmm. right? That's How many people money. can you help? With that much money, Less right? Than seventy-five. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> right. Then you got like, like one app that we're like, you know what? I'm going to build a product mm-hmm. that's market-driven, right? Mm-hmm. So every person, if you're denied, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell this landlord, you know, you normally gonna charge them one month's rent mm-hmm. deposit. Don't charge them a deposit. Mm-hmm. Let them pay. If they're denied, then let them pay that one months that you would have taken a deposit mm-hmm. and put it into this buy guarantee, mm-hmm. which is more than a one month deposit because you wouldn't take that. Mm-hmm. You said they're too risky to, for that. So I'm going to cover your risk three times the rent. So rent is $1,500. This is a $4,500 in coverage. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. instead, they put that one times the rent that they would have gave you a deposit into a non-refundable fee into this risk pool. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to have all these denied people mm-hmm. putting money into this pool and they're going to pay out mm-hmm. your defaults, right? Mm-hmm. That it's like pro- insurance, exactly. Okay, and yeah. so now you have one app launched that we have 250 people per month that's denied. We have first of all, we have 1500 applications per month, but once, once they understand the cost, they're like, ah, so only about 20% of them can participate because of the mm. price of the yeah. product yeah. because it's up front, right? Yeah. And so we're like, uh, which is one of the reasons I lease insurance because it's not up front, mm. but when we so and now that's market driven, there's no, there's no. Fund doesn't run out. Every mm-hmm. two thousand guarantees have a have a fund of five hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. That's our that's our formula because mm-hmm. we found out what the risk is, right? So two thousand guarantees, five hundred thousand dollar pool, and then you open up a new pool per two thousand, and then the rest of that money goes as revenue for the company. Mm-hmm. So I can pay my staff. We got we got mm-hmm. people go out and do inspections. We got all this, and so they're like, now we got fifty two management companies here that take the guarantee. So I'm like, I can give you a, a piece of paper that's like you're denied. Here's a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Fifty-two management companies. You can live anywhere, you, and you can pick. You, mm-hmm. There's no denials at these companies yeah. because Let's, you buy my guarantee, you're in. But there's no chance of this going out of business. So like this let, product doesn't disappear next year because let, we so, couldn't get funded. Uh, let, but, let, let's step this back just a little bit. Yeah. And you know, want to give you some time to like actually introduce this lease guarantee because most people listening right now have never heard of this concept before. <laughs> right. You came up with it. It's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, so there was there was concepts that were kind of similar to mm-hmm. it. You know, like like I said, the the government's version of it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but not a version that is. You know, uh, um, market driven. Like I say, it's not. And yeah, actually, but. I'm going to set you up a little better. But part of this came out of the successes and the failures that you had from the original One App program. Yes. So that's talk ex- about that and the feedback that you'd gotten from people who'd used your your original product. Yes, that's a good thing. So we went and uh, we launched One App. Like we talked about, the cool product that lets mm-hmm. you know everywhere you qualify, mm-hmm. right? And we ran it for the first year. Uh, we had over 20,000 background checks pulled. That's how many people went for free on one app to see where they qualified. We found that the amount of, that the people's choices, mm. even when they knew they could see approved and either condition on every property, their choices were almost identical mm. to the choices they made in real life when they have no idea where they qualify. It was the weirdest thing ever. We had, in real life, there's about a 30% of people, or mm. 20% of people who are approved. There is about 50% of people who are denied. Mm-hmm. 
or, or conditionally approved, sorry, and then about 30% of people are denied, mm-hmm. right? So you have 80% of people who either got to do something to get approved or denied, mm-hmm. and then you only have 20% approval. On one app, it was almost identical. Mm-hmm. And so we had a 15% approval rate and a 55% conditional, and mm-hmm. then 30-so percent denied. So we were like, how in the world... Are people, when they can see the outcome of their application, still sending their applications to properties that they don't qualify for, they're conditionally approved for? And so we ran a test where uh, we went to we uh, Hopkins at SEI, held me down, let mm-hmm. me use his space for a whole weekend. Mm-hmm. We had a couple hundred people show up. Mm-hmm. We gave them $25 gift cards for them to come do their housing search. And they did the search. And they went and tried to find a place. Mm-hmm. And we learned... Uh, that people, first thing they do is they go to the green pins. They approve properties, just like we wanted them to. Yeah. But then after that, they go to the properties that they want to live at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like They're like, okay, here's the 30 I qualify for. Uh, let me look at some of these other ones. And then the ones that they love mm-hmm. and want to live at were the ones that weren't green. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, uh, we learned that two things drive people's decision when housing. One is... Um, People had a sense of community. Mm-hmm. It, it basically, it didn't matter how many green pins were in Beaverton or Gresham or Vancouver if they needed to live in Portland. Mm. Like, who cares about all these? And we used to be like, look, you approved to this bomb house out here in Terwilliger. Yeah, I don't right. want to live in Terwilliger. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I need yeah. to live in how Vancouver. How fuck am I going to get around? All right, exactly. Yeah. And so we were like, man, so this site is so dope because it says out of 4,000 listings, you qualify for 125 but only ones that matter to them are these 17. Yeah. Like, so who cares about all these other ones that we show? That was the first thing we learned, right? And I know hindsight is 2020, but like, how could you not know that at the beginning? But when we built it, that wasn't what we thought, right? Mm-hmm. Because I came from a place of being homeless. Yeah, where yeah. one is good. Exactly. Yeah. Show me yeah. one. I don't care what it looked like, I'm there, right? Yeah. And so when you come from building from that standpoint, you imagine uh-huh. that everybody's mindset is like that. Yeah. But no one's mindset is like that. Yeah. <laughs> Except well, no for the other 1%. Yeah. 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 You got everything repoed. Yeah. Right. Trash and, bags at the wipes. <laughs> and the second thing we learned was that people cared about with the property, they, they know what they want it in a property, in a, a rental. If you're giving up up to 50% of your income for something, you really care about what it looked like. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I will give you an example. We were going through these properties with this one woman I will never forget. And she was sitting, her name was Shani, and I was helping her. Mm-hmm. And she came to the, the thing and I was like, okay, let's create you an account. She's like, I already have an account. And she was like, but I came here because my voucher expires in two days. And they told me to go to one app. And I was like, oh, did it not work for you? She was like, well, so we, we logged into her account, which she already had like everything. And I see all these yeah. green pins. I see all this stuff. And so I'm looking at these properties and uh, she was like, uh, I want to live here. And I tried to talk her out of moving there, but she was like, no, I need to be over here. And they can't, they can't articulate why they need to live there. At least she couldn't, yeah. but she just like, I need to live in this neighborhood. So we go in and we're looking at these green pin properties. And I was like, ooh, three bedroom, 800 square feet. Okay, I get that. Let's, let's move on. Let's move on. And we found one that the outside looked bomb. And she was, she was skipping properties without even looking at them. Like the first mm. photo, yeah. she was like, no, <laughs> no. Yeah. I'm like, you got a section eight by two. What you what we doing here, right? And she like, no, no. And we get to one where I'm like, this one looks good. It's mm-hmm. the right square feet. It looks fine. She's like, I saw this one, but something was wrong with it. And I'm like, okay. So we click on the photos. We're going through it. And she's like, oh, this is it. And I'm looking at a perfectly fine room, right? And she's like, she, I was like, what's wrong with it? She's like, these bedrooms are blue. She's like, I have little girls. I'm not oh about to put God. my daughter <laughs> in little boy bedrooms. I kid you not. <laughs> that was, you. But that was enough for her to say, 
I can't live here because I'll be putting my two daughters in these boy rooms. And when I heard that, I was like, "Okay, what do you do? Call, call your cardboard boxes pink? <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna get you a pink like, toilet? What's gonna happen? But, but the They're point, gonna transition. I, so what, first, like, I, I thought the same thing you guys thought, and I got, I got. So I thought the same thing, and I went and I spoke to um, a lady at. That was running the program. And this was one of the most humbling moments. Cause I was like, I was like, why would you? And so I'm thinking, like, she don't want a house. Like, you must want to, mm. you must want to be homeless, right? Yeah. And I talked to this lady who's who's who works for uh, she doesn't work for me, she works for the place I'm at, mm. uh, SCI. Yeah. And she's like, uh, and she's like, um, oh, what she said to me, I, I changed my she was like, mm. she was like, well, if she doesn't like that place for whatever, she was like, she was the one who told me that. She gave me the example of somebody was was hungry, right? Mm. She's like somebody's starving, and you try to offer them a big old steak, and they like, well, I don't eat meat. You ain't gonna be like, well, you ain't hungry then. You wouldn't do that because you like okay. they they still people, and <laughs> people have the right people have the right to have likes. I don't, it, there's no thing that says. But no, if it was between steak or dying, listen. If no, there's no, there's no think- thing that says I'm so poor. That I, that that I no longer have a yeah, right to care yeah. about preference what my preference exactly yeah, like yeah. it's not like you're so poor you're right. you you're shouldn't right. care about anything anymore you know like right. you sh- that, take what you get that's a place of privilege and I didn't realize that at that time yeah but then after that I had to I was like that's not it's not realistic for me to think like that so when I build a platform Wait, so what'd you find for this I, person I, though? I, okay I want to know that I want to know this person here right because like I feel like yes we got to show our community's grace and patience or we also got to real like recognize tomfoolery <laughs> and I'm sorry this is like I, of course you don't want to feed a vegetarian steak right. but a room but can you, be painted and you also and don't so, want someone to die in front of yeah. you right. so I was right. so trying to right. work with so. that person but still Right, that, but the just wait, makes but did she take so the blue difficult. rooms or not? At the, at the end of the day, I never saw where she ended up moving to. Oh, okay, right. So I don't, I don't, I don't know. But what we ended up learning was that this tool conceptually was yeah. everything, yeah. but in reality, yeah. it was yeah, not the solution for access. Right, and the funny thing is, the programs that I worked with have all the success with it. Mm-hmm. When I go to the, this, the Y or yeah. this, they are the ones that kill it. When it comes to using the software. Exactly, those are the people, 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 people who it was built for. But the yeah. problem is that's only one percent, two percent of people. Ninety-eight yeah. percent of people don't don't live like that. Mm-hmm. Right? right. And so they it don't work for them. Mm. So that so that's why, but I learned one thing from the, the website. Yeah. Remember, I got all the criteria for every management company. Yeah. 71% of every single person that was denied, that applied to a denied mm-hmm. property, would have been approved if they had a cosigner. It was like the silver wah, wah, bullet wah, wah. to access to housing. Mm. Like, and it, it overcomes I mean, every that single- That was my student loans. That was my everything. <laughs> yeah. Like, I needed a co-signer. A co-signer and you're, school. you're done. And it ashes, overcomes man. all the barriers. Like, yeah. your income a little too low, co-signer. Credit not yeah. quite there, co-signer. Like, <laughs> Wait, y'all got a universal co-signer? What? <laughs> that's what we built. <laughs> that's, yes. what, okay. that's what we okay. built. That's so it. I was like, I, I can get everybody in if we just co-sign for everybody. And the people yeah. were like- and are you doing drugs now? And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, like what, happens, what happens if it gets if someone fucks up? Exactly. So but, that's what that's what everybody was talking about. That and I was like, listen, insurance. I was like, look yeah. at this. I was like, when you, no one else can see things like I can see things. This 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 product doesn't exist outside of me, right? So right. one app is the first one of these. When I look at this property and they say, we don't want to take any of the bad people. That's why we say you can't have a credit score, you know, below six fifty. Yeah, yeah. And then this probably says we don't want to take all the bad people, but we don't care about credit score. You can't have more than five accounts in collections. Yeah. And this one says we don't care. We don't want the bad people, 
but we don't care about accounts and collections or credit score. You can't have more than $1,000 in collections, right? Yeah. And you go through all these and you're like, you're denied here, but you're approved here. Yeah. And then you're, you're denying this person that's approved here, yeah. right? And then every you're like, this is all... <laughs> like, who's taking all the bad people? Nobody. You just yeah. all have your own unique Definition criteria. Of what's bad. Exactly. I don't yeah. take no no rental history. Oh, I take rental history. I mean, yeah. I, you can have no rental history here, but I you have to make three times the rent. We don't. You can only make two two point five here. Like it's just. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the day, I'm like, when it's six percent default rate, like six point seven percent is the, the 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 eviction rate, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't think there's any. Any singular thing that I can point to that says you're the reason for evictions, because it's just it, you know it's just the overall. So I took that that default rate, and then I I, I was like, how much do we need to charge? When that's and they're like that won't be the default rate because you're taking all the bad people, and I'm like, but y'all have you don't understand it. There is no yeah. all the bad people, right? Yeah. And so that's why I was able to take this shot that no one else was willing to take because I had this view that uh, nobody else had. You know what I mean? You co-signed my test so long? <laughs> yeah, we don't have that. That's not set up. And so when we launched it, it did exactly what we... Well, we launched it. It did amazing. And then COVID came. Uh, and so then we were like, everything goes into the pool. Like, yeah. like, <laughs> we don't know how this is going to end, so we put every dang yeah. dollar into and that. Explain for folks what ex- how exactly it works. Okay, so you are, um, I'm denied at a property. The landlord will say, hey, I don't want your one times rent deposit because that's not enough for my risk, right? So I have to deny you. But you're like, no, I can go out and get this guarantee that's going to give you basically a triple deposit in coverage. So my $1,500 deposit now, $4,500. But in order to buy that guarantee, I have to take that deposit I was going to give you and make it non-refundable and put it into this pool, yeah, right? Go. And all of these denied applicants are now co-signing for each other. Mm-hmm. Like that's really what... So now everybody has access mm-hmm. as long as they put this money in the pool. But our two biggest problems with that is the cost, right? Um, and the reason the cost is... And the fact, there's a, there's a lot of problems with the guarantee. Like, I don't want to, there's a, it works very well to get people in housing, mm-hmm. but it, it's problematic when it comes to the way I look at solving access to housing. I want 100% of people to qualify where they want to live. Mm-hmm. And there's still some things I got to change about the guarantee mm-hmm. to tweak it to where it can, can solve that overall need to where literally everybody's approved mm-hmm. wherever they want to live. And there's no risk to the landlords. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, I thought it was finding a property that was the problem, but that's not the problem. That's, yeah. I thought application fees over and over was the problem. That's not the problem. I thought it was racism and and people were just trying to keep I black mean, people out. That's still a problem. Be careful what there, you're going to say, man. That, that's it is, still a problem. There is, Especially convictions <laughs> could be a problem. Right, right. right. It's, it's not the problem in the sense that it is a large enough percentage to impact the overall access, right? It is a problem that there are some that is systematic though. Like like yeah. credit and all this stuff, black folks don't yeah. look at credit the way that, yeah, you know, saying that education. people aren't looking at an application and, and being, being like, like, oh, this person's black. black. Right, right. right. They're but looking at it and it, but exactly, but black it, folks I mean, are being cut <laughs> out. That might still happen, but. Yeah. Yeah. Right, but not in a large enough percentage like, gotcha. to cause the, the homelessness uh, that we have. So, so that's what the, the real problem, and I mean, this is, this is down to nuts and bolts. The real problem, not all those symptoms that we try to solve. The actual problem is what access should look like because the basic human right is two times the rent. So anything more than that is, is unfair. Like if you make two times the rent, you should be able to live in a place. The 
but housing has to be profitable in order for it to, to grow. Like people won't build housing if it's not a profitable business. Unless the government does it. Exactly. And and that has never happened, right? So yeah, right except now for in Europe. Right. Yeah. Right. US has hard. Um so uh, <laughs> Yeah. Well, we know my political leanings. Um, <laughs> so speaking of that though, like you were talking a lot about the reasons nonprofits models might not necessarily work towards solving a lot of our societal problems because they don't have a market driven uh most don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like, for example, now, charity but, water. But, is what I, but I'm curious yeah. of can it be market driven without being profit driven? Like, not to it can exactly. pocket watch you, right? Like, right, I'm not right. saying that. But it can. Like, it can. The the only thing is you have to figure out how you are going to motivate yeah. an army of people to do something to complete yeah. a task. But like, how are you gonna get? Thousands of developers across the United States exactly. to do all but this work. And most nonprofits are so reactive and yes. they're chasing grant dollars yes. that are constantly changing and no accountability. <laughs> right. Meanwhile, Tyrone, because a nonprofit could have done what you did. Exactly. And find stakeholders to mobilize and to build support over time. So, mm-hmm. But most nonprofits don't take that pathway. So in our right. city, yeah. the people who are most upset about homelessness are the people who are homeless, right? Um, I don't know. Have you been to Laurelhurst? (laughs) (laughs) But But I agree with that. I agree with that sentiment. They're the most impacted, right? And like uh, the ones that want to get out of homelessness. I was just joking. Yeah, but the ones that want to get out. I'm sure there are some people that like camping, you know? Like, so so, um, the ones that care the. And then I would say the people that care the second most are sort of on the opposite end of the economic spectrum there. Because then there's people like me towards the middle who are super sympathetic to Mm -hmm. homeless people. And I walk by a homeless person, I'm not scared. I'm not like right. get this out of my eyes. Right, right, right. So, right, there are thousands of wealthy people, like, and, or at least lots of dollars, like, yeah. even if it's concentrated in yeah. not so many people that really want homelessness to be solved. That's a market force. Why haven't they solved it? Because they have no one. Because isn't that an incentive? It, it is. They it really is. care. They write to the money every day. People <laughs> don't think outside the box. And they're not like, hey, it's my problem to solve. They're like, let the government do it. I pay my taxes. They should do it. Right. And if somebody said, said, let me actually bring you a solution. Right. Exactly. Let me let me figure out a solution. to. You know what? I actually wrote a bit. And we don't have time for it on this. I actually wrote a business plan that I'm going to launch after I solve access to housing that mm-hmm. ends homelessness. Like the 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 homelessness of well, people shit. on the street. Well, you gonna tell somebody outside <laughs> that you're waiting to launch it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> so I, 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 I gotta do one thing at a time. But it is the most unique <laughs> business model and it actually generates millions of dollars while paying the, while people get off the street. Like you gotta create a way to generate revenue by solving that problem and it literally revenue creates for, for the business. Like why? people won't invest in it. Why? Why? People won't people won't do it if it doesn't create the revenue See, to get people up to me. That like shouldn't our love of humanity or not wanting to see people on the streets motivate people? It will for about two months. Why? That <laughs> that, that, you're like, gonna be exhausted. That movement lasts <laughs> what four months, like, but then they're like, uh, do they know. black lives I, matter? <laughs> Question mark. Who's gonna spend I wanna think whole that existence? people are better than that, right? Like that people really have compassion. And, and not only want to see homelessness eradicated so they don't have to see it or deal with it, but also because they care about the people who are homeless. Right, right. But you ideal maybe communist that's not true. Yeah, I mean, it is true. A, people a, will. People will. But the thing is, everybody has a different threshold of what helping is, right? 
Like, right. yeah. like if I'm rich, I'm maybe like I'll write a hundred thousand yeah. dollars, right? While right. somebody else be like, I'm gonna go feed the homeless today. At, at or somebody this else place, might right. just be like, I'm gonna vote for the right person. Exactly. Or I'm going to take the time or to put to a vote sign in my yard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that may be the extent of some people's <laughs> yeah. whole thing, right? Yeah. So I mean, it's just you'd have to to organize all of those different levels of effort, mm-hmm. and then to and, and then literally like mobilize it to mm-hmm. solve a, a problem with no just off the strength of passion and love, like that's that's a that's a big overtaking. Like you gonna have to somebody gonna have to get rich or it ain't gonna work. So Tyrone, um I'm just curious if you have any message for folks who were like you, you know, seven years ago, you know, what is your message for them today? I would say um, get rich or die trying. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. No, I would say, uh, um, you know, I when I people ask me like they talk about they they think that the worst moment was when I was in the hospital or when I got injured or when I got um, when I was sleeping on the fried c- chicken on your shirt. Exactly, fried <laughs> chicken on my shirt. The worst moment that when I think back, the worst moment for the entire process was when I it was the month that I was in the shelter that I didn't apply anywhere. I literally didn't put, fill out a single application because not because I didn't want to move. I had already borrowed so much app fees. I had lost all my motivation to apply and I didn't even know what I was doing anymore. I just mm-hmm. woke, cause I was like, no one's going to rent to me. Mm-hmm. So I just woke up, I stayed and went to, from the day shelter, from the night shelter to the day shelter, then back to the night shelter. Lost and just you were to live. Exactly. Like and, water, and, exa- and that is the, even when I think about it now, it, like that was the hardest point for me. And so I know that people get there all the time. Yeah. And at that point is when it is not the point to give up. Like that is the one thing, like it's, when you get to that point, that is where you, that's where you double down on yourself. Like that's when you look in the mirror and you double down on whoever you are and you say, this is not going to beat me. Like I will get out of this situation. You think Simone Biles should have competed? <laughs> we wow. <laughs> can, can, can we wrap up this interview, Greg? <laughs> Holy. And that, I mean, in, for her, it was mental health, right? So yeah. I get how that might be different. But for most people, you don't, you know, giving up at that moment is, is it's, I, with throwing your hands up is just not the decision to make. Plug your shit. Where do people find you? Where to? Yeah. So right now I have a brand new product coming out. It's Lease Assurance. We didn't get into it today, but that's perfectly okay. Uh, I'm gonna give you. It, it doesn't actually lo- go live until September 1st. The the marketing campaigns and all of that. But if you go to leaseassurance.com, there's a lock on it. The password is one app. I've never shared that password anywhere, oh, so you're going to hear it right here. Oh, yes. Okay. We got the exclusive. <laughs> you will get to learn about the entire new concept before we take the lock off and make it a public website. Exclusive. On, I love it. On September 1st. So password, one app. Go to Lease Assurance. Follow this podcast. Check it out. And yeah. it, We're going to pass this thing this year. And where do people find one app? Just one app? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Just yeah. one app. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tyrone, you have a spirit that can climb mountains and has climbed mountains. And yes, your story, and not only your story, but the way that you actually put your 
steps and your footwork behind your words and behind your vision, it's truly a model for a lot of folks. So whether you are in government, whether you are in business, (laughs) whether you are a bum, you should be (laughs) looking at Tyrone and asking yourself, how can I do better? Thank you for being there for us. Thank you for being there for this community. Thank you. inspiring. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And that's a wrap. And that was our interview with Tyrone Poole. And now it's time for the hot take. I fucked it up, sorry. What did you, you didn't even say anything. How did you fuck something up? I, didn't I guess I will say words first. Great, Tyrone Poole. That, I gotta first say like, that was probably our blackest episode so far. Wait, no, what? That yes, was like but, the most capitalist episode so far. Yes, it was the most capitalist, but like we were hella fucking black, like talking over each other. Oh. Yeah, it was like, I felt like we were at a black barbecue. Like that was the type of conversation we were having. Yeah, it, it is like that, especially yeah. because there are some views that are not within the, uh, you know, you're at a black barbecue, you're going to hear some things that you're not going to hear from Joe Biden, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, But, yeah, I mean, like, my main takeaway is, like, obviously Tyrone's story is, like, incredibly inspiring. Um, So that's... Painful. Painful, but also inspiring. And, like, so I would be remiss to not say that that's, like, not the main takeaway. Um, I think, like, where... And we sort of try to get in on this a little bit where we, like, disagree is, like, the function of government versus Mm -hmm. the private sector. Um, And obviously, you know... I bring biases to that conversation. You might, yeah. and he might, etc. But I'm, I, don't, I don't think that I'm biased. Or, yeah, I mean, like <laughs> yeah. I work with a lot of government people, etc. Um, you, you know, work in the nonprofit industry, and uh, he works in the private sector. Yeah. But I mean, like, I think I totally disagree with the basic notion that there are these things that government should just absolutely stay out of. Yeah, especially like government's bad and business is the solution. Well, especially when all the societal ills that we're dealing with right now are because of the private sector. And that's and also, you know, we would prefer that and and I think part of that is because of the state that government is currently in mm-hmm. in part that it's been, you know, yeah. we have the separation of church and state. The we biggest don't have flaw the of government is that it's ineffective. The biggest flaw of business is that it's often corruptible and you can't actually stop that from happening. Well, and we've starts. also had this like overlap between yeah. the private sector and government where mm-hmm. people in government are making huge amounts of money, mm-hmm. um, things like that. Uh, yeah. or people shift from one to the other. I mean, our I wouldn't former say president that, but is still like, like huge, huge amounts of money, not compared to these not major CEOs Billionaires, right? Like yeah, they like might get a payoff, and their payoff is going to be what? Nowhere more than a million dollars over a lifetime of corruption. Right. But so their donors, really, the people that get them into the yeah. office, and their interests might exactly. be more corporate aligned yeah. than with the people. But I think that. If but you look at public corruption versus private corruption. Folks who are corrupt in the private sector are making probably ten to. 50 times as much as corruption. It's just capitalism. No, there's definitely public corruption, like tax evasion and all that kind of shit. Right. Um, And but a lot of that tax evasion is built into the system by design and is part of the reason why people distrust government. But the thing is, it's romanticized, you know, Wolf of Wall Street. Like, if you're a corrupt businessman, there will still be people be like, you should be able to be that corrupt businessman. But if you're a corrupt government person, you're just corrupt. There's no like, oh, you should be able to to get more money. But and I think that's 
it's like the sort of chicken or the egg thing, but it's like part of the reason why people then distrust government yeah. and why government becomes ineffective is because of that influence in part by the private sector. But I think government at its core or the way that it's supposed to be or in my utopia mm. would be where it's really reflective of the people, yeah. then I wouldn't be able to say all these negative things about government because yeah. it's supposed to be us. Yeah. But and, right now it's not us. And all love to our brother Tyrone. Yeah, but, totally. Yeah, I got, I, you know, you know, I'm not afraid about, you know, putting anybody's feet to the fire. It is really challenging when you hear it from a black person. And, you know, for me, it's like, can we remind you what limited government did to our people? You know, limited government is what allowed black people to be enslaved by white people and yeah. allow, you know, private you know, plantation owners to enrich themselves. And I think a devil's advocate would say, can we also remind you of what government has done to our people? Right. Or totally not done for yeah. our people. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. so like it, it can cut both ways. It sort of goes to the conversation but we had course, about vaccines. But yes, in government might legalize uh, discriminatory behavior, but it has to be practiced by private citizens. And so, yes, let's look at the flaws of government, but when it comes to the true impacts and the most vicious violations against our people, it's always been private citizens and private industry. Uh, yeah, I think that's Exclusion true. would be mass incarceration, but that's the only exception. Well, even then, we saw the rise of the private pr prison industry exactly. and stuff like yeah. that. Like, there, again, is that same yeah. overlap. Yeah. Um, and, you know, slavery was institutionalized. Yeah. Slave catchers are institutionalized yep. Yep. into government, too, though. So um, even though that's an economic boon or, like, model or something like that, it also has been infused into government. Yep. And we see that replicated through now, you know, the prison industrial complex, as you mentioned. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's just it's challenging to hear from someone who literally lost everything because they were exploited being a vulnerable person and they should have had government protection say, actually, this is why business should get more freedom and more power to do stuff. Right. And who am I to be like, nah, fuck you. You're wrong. Right. Like, you know, like, I, but we need to, I'm like, sorry, like private sectors who repossessed all of your items and left you for dead and broke. But for him, he's indicative of the private sector. And then sector. the folks who saved him was government. You know, the fact that he's now 30 billion, you know, $30 million, you know, business was because of government. But also him, right? Yes. But again, I feel like there was this downplay of the good things that government does and right. this upplay of business I don't when the business sector was not going to support his idea if he had pitched it to a, a, a Fortune 500 company owner. But he might support the next person's idea. Might. And he will. Yeah, he will. and he will. He's an and exception. That, and that's, that's what the problem. I think he would say. He's like, an exception, yeah. but look at literally every other successful business person, Jeff Bezos, uh, Bill Gates, all of these folks. That's not their MO. Well, we do see even those like super rich people, I mean, uh, give a lot of money to nonprofits and stuff like that, not yeah. in the amount that it impacts their net worth, but in the amount where they can at least pat themselves Play on the, the shoulder. Yeah, and exactly. it looks generous, but at the same time, it's a tax write-off. And because totally. it's much bigger than the folks who actually have, who donate more than yeah, they like can I get back. I would be grateful as shit to get that money, exactly. right? You know? <laughs> and you and I literally probably donate more than we can get benefit from in our taxes, right. but then the totally. folks who get, you know, uh, school halls named after them and, and whole symphonies named after them are literally doing it for tax write-offs. Yeah, totally. It's fucked up. It's fucked up, yeah. Yeah. But, agreement. you know, again, much respect to the work that Tyrone's doing because I also do believe what he encapsulates is that the private sector can be a driving force for good. 
And what, yeah, like, what yeah. if the private sector was a whole bunch of Tyrones? Then Fuck would we be yes. having a whole different conversation? Then I'd be calling Tyrone. <laughs> right, you know, yeah. so, you know, but also what if government was a bunch of Tyrones? It would be better, too. Yeah. Well, it would probably be abolished. <laughs> 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 they burned down City Hall. <laughs> government shouldn't do anything. Yeah, totally. uh, what else? But, yeah, his story, it, that was so hard for me. It was, and Again, I didn't get a chance to talk about my experience being homeless, and I can't imagine surviving going through what he went through. I never had a single moment of such shame and, and despair. So, so much love and respect to him for having such a resilient spirit, you know, to have everything, to, to have your life paved out in front of you and then to lose it all and, like, not just, like, fall from grace but to, like, end in the pits of hell and to come back. Yeah, I think one of the most, like, profound things he said was, like, learning how to be invisible um, yeah. at people's houses. But yep. I think that it exists not just at people's houses and it exists from yeah. our elected officials trying to make home houseless people yeah. invisible, like, by force, too, you yeah. know? And so um, that, I and think, that's the thing for all profound. poor people. Totally. Marginalized people. Yeah. You have to learn how to make yourself invisible to survive. Um but uh, what was I going to say? Well, I think it, it, it's a huge contrast because I think that a lot of people think of, you know, you and I have been in a lot of rooms where you mm -hmm. walk into the room and you're the only black person, right? Mm -hmm. But, like, and I think a lot of people look at that as, like, then, like, you're trying to fit in. But I think that the comparison of instead trying to become invisible is so much more yep. what that actually feels like than yep. trying to fit in with another group. It's more like trying yep. to not be seen. Yeah. Because you, you can't be you right like yeah. and, and be seen yeah. yeah i also have to say greg you were on your best behavior i was gonna say during... i was gonna say did i have a most annoying moment you actually did ah, I, I was watching and i was like halfway and i was like oh my god greg might not have been annoying during this interview and then of course you had to ruin it what was it <laughs> you have to guess uh I, I thought I was on my best behavior. I thought I was really good. No, I listened you to it and thought it was no, really good. No, you weren't. You were annoying. It was the part when I was trying to speak about my expertise with nonprofits, and you would not let me fucking make my point. No. Well, sometimes your points aren't worth making. <laughs> Case and fucking point. But I give you credit because I told you to shut the fuck up, and you actually shut the fuck up. There we and go. And so if we had a rank, like, least annoying most annoying moment, that was going to be the one. You were definitely on your best behavior during this episode. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I was more sober, I think. <laughs> you were more sober. <laughs> okay, I do have to make one disclaimer uh, because, you know, sometimes I will say some fuck yous and I'll be a little ratchet during these interviews. And sometimes it's in jest. You and fucked so I, up? <laughs> what? You fucked up? I didn't fuck up. Oh, uh, what'd you no, do? No, I was just making a joke. And I just want to make it very clear to anybody who's listening. Uh, there is a person who we talked about during the podcast. His name is Stephen Green. He is a true Portland hero. And, you know, he, he made the joke about, uh, he said that Stephen made his uh, uh, um, copies in black and white. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I was like, Stephen Green's not invited to the show. <laughs> Stephen Green, I hope you're listening. Just so you know, you are always invited to your neighborhood black friends. Love you so much. He ain't listening. <laughs> he's going <laughs> to listen. I'm going to send him the link. Especially since he knows he's been mentioned. Name oh, dropped. no. But yeah, great episode. Okay, so let's talk about the news. And of course, you know, it's interesting thinking that 
2020 was this year of apocalypse. And I feel like 2021 is like claiming it's like, it's like, Oh yeah, hold my beer. <laughs> yeah. It's no, like it's claimed like, when we started the pandemic in 2020, it was like February or something yeah. like that where we like first were like, Oh no, we're going into lockdown. And I remember saying to my wife, cat, um, saying like, Holy shit. This might go until my birthday. And my yeah. birthday's in March of 2020. <laughs> and now here we are. And I had the March. I was like, holy shit. This is literally going to go all the way until my birthday. This is going to be wild. <laughs> and like now here we are. That was 2020 of February. And now we're like halfway through. More than halfway through. Two thirds of the way through 2021. Yeah. And like, yeah, it doesn't seem. It's gotten worse. Coronavirus has gotten worse. If we exactly. relaxed things, it's yeah. just wild. And 2021 is Continuing to claim new victims. The latest one is Chad McChadperson. Oh, the rest in peace. <laughs> Mike Richards, the once now former nine day host of Jeopardy. Wait, did he even host it? Well, he hosted as a guest. I know, but did he even get to like as the official host host? I think they were recording in that after the. Yes, he did a first episode. Oh, wow. And this bitch ass, fuck you, Mike Richard, he brought in a bunch of people like um, Ken Jennings and some other Jeopardy yeah. stars and relegated them to the green room because he was too nervous to have them as part of the studio. Interesting. So yeah, what the, the fuck room, was Ken Apparently that's a rumor studio. and they put him in the green room because of COVID, but I really think Mike Richardson brought them as a part of the ceremony to celebrate Alex Trebek. Yeah. And then when he had uh, to start hosting was like, actually put him off to the side. Interesting. So, and so for folks who don't know, uh, all, we already knew when he was getting vetted that he had all these sexual harassment lawsuits, which apparently weren't enough to get him disqualified. But then they pulled up a bunch of podcast episodes where he like talked about women needing to get fake tits and called said something. I don't know. Said a lot of offensive stuff and basically very misogynist stuff. I don't remember what he said. I would never believe the things that he said. And I think he went to the media and was like, well, that's not really what I believe. And you're just using these, uh, um, talking points against me and i'm just like that's always a good plan you said this shit like five years ago on a podcast that <laughs> yeah, you chose to like host old high school tweets <laughs> yeah these aren't like we caught you in high school with a tweet right like this yeah. is like you were a fully formed adult and he did this while on the jeopardy like production yeah, team as an executive yeah. and so it was weird that the 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 hiring panel was like oh we didn't know about these comments I'm like so why did you pick him out of all these celebrities and all of these qualified people you literally did no vetting for chad because Chad-person. he picked him how how did he have that much power but isn't that his role i don't know i mean i'm sure if you've been in the building for enough time i don't know we're not there but yeah. i saw something that said that lavar burton was never seriously even considered like, he's still not yeah they're not yeah. even it's not even a thing yeah like, and did not, you hear about my miami yeah so like she's also problematic great yeah did did you read no i didn't know that so a I lot of things one a- she uh authored uh uh some kind of like anthology basically talking being anti-vax and talking about why she chose not to vaccinate her kids they're now vaccinated so give her credit for that but then she also wrote during the time during the me too movement she wrote a piece about harvey weinstein and was saying this is why women need to dress more appropriately and decently so they don't get sexually harassed oh no yeah and then she's Just get lavar burton and what, she's never been done a spokesperson anything. for a bunch of like fake uh, pseudoscience stuff like nootropics. Uh, like some Dr. So Oz making, shit. Yeah, Dr. Oz shit, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
great. God, just pick LeVar Burton. It's the obvious choice. He's not going to get picked. It sounds like Why Ken Jennings. Why are they Jennings? not considering him? I don't know. But it sounds like it's going to be Ken Jennings. Which, I'm cool you with know, Ken Jennings. Still better than Chad McChadperson. Okay, but Ken Jennings is also boring as shit. Probably has not sexually harassed women and demeaned them on a podcast. So. No, I, I remember something about Ken Jennings doing something that he, he had to apologize for. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like I didn't he read had them. some like libertarian leaning tweets or like views or something like that. But yeah. yeah. Um whatever. Yeah. yeah. Well, at least it's not Chad. Yeah. Well, the bigger victim Rest in peace. that 2021 has claimed this week was Afghanistan. Hot take. No. <laughs> it This is heavy shit. We might be talking about this for a while. But yeah, the Taliban is fucking back. Like 2021, of course, the big next Saddam Hussein, uh, Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden is not dead. You know what's next? What the Taliban is not Osama bin Laden. I'm just saying it is that level of like holy shit. This is an evil fucking year. No, it's not the same. We- it. it- Osama bin Laden attacked America and thousands of people and died. And the Taliban harbored Osama bin Laden and also took they, over a government, to give implemented up. fascist Islamic willing, law, uh, and trampled the rights of women. I'm not going to talk about Islam in that way. but I'm uh, not talking about Islam. I'm talking about the Islamic state that the Taliban implemented in Afghanistan. These are not the same thing. Have you read the book? What book? The Quran. I've not read the Quran, but okay. I'm not talking about Islam. I'm talking about the Islamic State and the interpretation of Islamic law that the Taliban implemented in Afghanistan. That's like saying, have you seen the Bible? So don't you dare. No, the Quran is more clear on things in the Bible. But still, the Bible also says very awful things that people choose yes, to interpret in a way. And they're bad, yeah. Okay. And if we had a state, though, that was strictly on the rules of the Bible, it would be bad. Yes. 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 So, but it'd be great television, like Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, it's sort of like taboo. I don't want to, like, be, like... We're know. hot taking it. Don't you dare. <laughs> I don't want, you know, but it's just like, you know, I have a positive thing I can say about the Taliban. Go like ahead. the way they've taken over right as the government, Peacefully. U.S. government's pulling out. It's some hood shit. And like, I Peacefully. was like, yeah. <laughs> we running up. They straight up gangster. <laughs> like, I can't be mad with like how they Heisman up on the fucking U.S. government like that. I wish I had that fucking type of like military swagger. Like, I can't fucking... This the dog on them for that. So I seen some stats that was like the Taliban at its like height yeah. has seventy thousand troops and the Afghan army had something like yeah. three hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, and it's just like you know. So what do you do? I mean, like we, and obviously the Afghan army was better equipped because they yeah. had our equipment. There was but they were also heavily corruption. corrupted. Yeah, yeah corruption. Um, I think there's something <laughs> to say for like really believing in your fight, you know, like, I don't Mm. know. Um, Obviously the Taliban really believes in their fight and like, it's just, um, I mean, yeah, we should first say this sucks. Uh, And I don't uh, know if you believe that. (laughs) No, you're like the Taliban's not that bad. No, I don't know what I, where I just like as a history person, I just think it's like, people talk about the Taliban as if it's ISIS or Al Qaeda and it's not. And it's it's not. And, 
Also, we talk about the Taliban as if it necessarily is exactly the Taliban of nineteen. Like the Taliban has its own government, and that's something that people should know. Was that yeah. one of the things that made the Taliban so powerful was that they came into power on the promise of implementing law, order, and when I say law and order, I mean public safety in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And so, for a lot of people, including folks and women who are afraid of the Taliban, they would go to the Afghanistan public courts, not get justice, and they could actually turn to the Taliban that had its own second government and would actually get justice from them. So that's a part of where their power came from. So, and, and the other thing is if you look at a public polling that I didn't make, right, from Pew Research and stuff mm -hmm. like that, um, the views of most people in Afghanistan are somewhat aligned with the Taliban. Mm -hmm. Now, if your views are not aligned with the Taliban, like, you know, I could make that same argument and be like, oh, well, the views of Americans are in line with the Confederacy, so we, so we should have slavery yeah. and, and fuck over the minorities, right? Like, yeah. so that's not to say that then you're good, right? Yeah. Like, but, like, how much can you, if America wants to be a slave state, right? Mm -hmm. How much, it, and, and everybody wants to be or like a majority of the people support slavery, how much can another nation come in and influence that not becoming true? Where I'm I do think we have a responsibility. Where I think we have a responsibility squirming. is for the people who are not in that percentage that don't want that to happen to help them get out. Squirming. Why? I mean, what? I I feel so conflicted, and that's like saying there are probably some slaves who really like their masses. And like, oh, they like being a slave. Yeah, and Let what them if they stay vote being to a slave? Stay? What do you do? It feels very terrible that folks who might be okay with a fascist state, knowing that's the only reality they, they've lived in. But can we impose something different upon and them? And this is where I that feel really conflicted. Yeah. But this is how I feel conflicted because, you know, I have been very anti-war and anti-use interventionism, and I look at what happened in Afghanistan, and knowing that the rights of women did progress after the Taliban was Absolutely. forced out of power, Absolutely. and now even as the Taliban has come back, they have made a promising message of being more moderate on things like women's rights, and they've also made promises around amnesty for folks who've resisted them in the past. Totally. And of course, we should rightfully be skeptical of these yeah. promises, but to even start off from that perspective, you're already, like, they didn't have to do that. So they're already diluting fascist power that they used to have, and they might be telling the truth. And right. so... Well, they want to avoid what happened before, right? Because what happened before is we so kicked their ass for 20 years. military interventionism actually positive for, for women and other minorities in Afghanistan? I mean, we definitely kicked their ass yes. for 20 years, and they want to avoid that happening again. And I think and our women government were safer has, to live their lives, right? And I think we've made it well. Yeah, but is a war-torn country necessary with rights more safe than a non-war-torn country with no rights? Like that's hard to say, right? Like because yeah, they had rights, but you might get bombed. Um, and like, so it, it, it's definitely difficult. The, the thing is like, what I would say is like, yeah, we, we could do this in every country basically. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, we could do this in our own country, honestly. Um, right. like there's rights being violated. There's people being oppressed in lots of places. We ignore almost all of Africa. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like we, uh, in many places where there has been 
um, terrorist factions or even Islamist governments and stuff um, or factions yeah. running around in Africa. We ignore all that because totally. they don't have the same reserves or resources they that don't the Middle the East has. That's the, that was the big thing. Right. Yeah, we but invaded Iraq didn't attack the U.S. Okay, that's true. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like... But so, this example, it was because of Osama bin Laden. Well, the Taliban didn't attack the U.S. Yeah, but the Taliban was harboring Osama bin Laden. And they offered to give him up, and George Bush said no. Well, they said, you need to give us proof that he's guilty. Yeah, and then we'll give him up. And then when we said, no, we're really going to bomb the shit out of you, then they were like, no, really, we'll give him up. <laughs> oh, okay, I missed that part. <laughs> um, and, uh, and George Bush said, no, we're going to bomb the shit out of you. Uh, and okay, we fair. kicked their ass. I mean, like... And they deserve to get their ass kicked. They suck, right? Like, so it's hard. But we, there's bad people everywhere, right? Putin is fucking bad. We're not going to fucking do this. And then I, I think the, the... But the, the the, I, I think the difference is, is, you know, part of the anti-intervention movement isn't just talking about military intervention. It is talking about, like, isolation completely. And so this is the part where I feel really conflicted. It does feel like some of what the movement has been about is just staying out of the political affairs of foreign states. But we do that already in so many foreign states, right? But like we, we do don't. that for Saudi We're Arabia. We put political pressure on them. I'm not saying it's the same level. Barely. I, 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 see, they, I there's don't, never been a threat that we're going to bomb Saudi Arabia if they don't improve women's rights. That's not going to ever fucking happen. Yes. I, but the part that I'm still feeling conflicted about was that I do feel that the military intervention in Afghanistan was effective in promoting civil rights for the most marginalized people. How about this? Like, we have made huge enemies of Iran mm -hmm. um, who have been far more progressive than mm -hmm. obviously the Taliban mm -hmm. and far more progressive than even oh, Saudi yeah, Arabia. Look at Cuba, for example. Like, why the fuck yeah. is, was there an embargo for that long? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't disagree with you, but I think, again, my point is not comparing other... Well, what would you do then? What now I, and then? One, I don't know. Okay. I do feel extremely conflicted because I do think that the military intervention helped Afghanist minorities in Afghanistan and marginalized people in Afghanistan get rights. There was a huge cost to uh, the American government. I think it was over eight billion dollars yeah in afghanistan's more. lives yeah yeah forty thousand civilians sixty thousand military and police and then only thirty five hundred and I'm, i don't want to say only but thirty five hundred compared foreign to the other side military yeah, yeah. so it's yeah. a fraction of any non-afghani people because being we really killed. kicked their ass yeah so i feel extremely conflicted because i have been very anti-military intervention but i also feel that we are living in it's hard for me as somebody who is a minority upon a minority to imagine how i would feel if i was living in a place like afghanistan and i feel like there's a huge privilege for us to have our rights and then kind of be dismissive on the fact that these are folks who would not have rights if not for American intervention. So what if I told you that if we just kept 2,000 to 5,000 troops in Afghanistan, the Taliban would have never taken over? Like, would that be worth it then? I, again, I, 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 I do not feel like I've really matured all my feelings on it. Um, I, and I think part of what makes this really complex is because 
our policies on humanitarian aid and asylum are so broken. And so I think that's part where I feel conflicted of like military intervention feels like the, the tool that is the most acceptable and has been the most implemented to help promote civil rights. And it's hard for me to boohoo on that given that we're not able to use asylum and humanitarian aid to boost civil rights the way, or diplomacy the way that but it goes back to what we said about like slavery like if we if it's humanitarian aid and asylum and yeah. stuff and we try and get out the people that don't want to be there and we but fought the a war and not, like that's the problem like yeah. i would never say don't fight the civil war to free all of enslaved black people military intervention yeah. exactly yeah and we're pro black panthers and things like that so it, it feels really challenging to hear like oh yeah we're pro black panthers but not if the black panthers go to afghanistan (laughs) which black panthers (laughs) the good ones but yeah it's still this is where i feel so conflicted and then even looking at this idea of like what if the u.s didn't you know bring in its own military but just you know help set up a government but then that was just fully corrupt so it's again it's more it's still really conflicting of like actually u.s intervention if, if a U.S. national is in there trying to keep the peace, they're not going to be as corrupted as a government official who basically was going to stay there and look out for themselves. You know, a U.S. person is going to be more neutral in terms of right. not fully trying to enrich themselves. So I feel really conflicted. So would you have not left? Oh, no. To, see, I, I do support Biden leaving. Um, I... I feel like it's an expensive war. I feel that... Um, I feel weird when we talk about the cost, like, monetarily. Yeah. Like, when people are dying. But as you said, people are dying because of our presence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Taliban is threatening more violence if yep. we do stay. Totally, totally. And I also do feel that there's this promise of a more moderate Taliban Afghani government. <laughs> Um, Taliban Olympics coming. <laughs> oh, Taliban Olympics. <laughs> so for me, it's like it's even harder to still justify military presence if we're already seeing a Taliban government that seems more amenable to other forms of diplomacy. So yeah. this is why I really do support the especially, withdrawal. Especially if it's inevitable. I feel more conflicted about should we have been there in the first place. I feel conflicted saying we should or we shouldn't. Brand, well, we don't have to have that conversation because we were, I guess. But you know, like <laughs> at, you know, uh, at the end of the day, it's like but is Palestine, Taliban rule. Great fucking inevitable? example. What do you mean? It, like, if the U.S. was more pro-Palestine than Israel, would I want to see the U.S. government more Come militarily in and kick involved? Israel's ass? What? Come in and kick Israel's ass? Yeah. Would I support that idea? Wow. I think I would. I think I would, too. This is where I feel so conflicted. Yeah, so it, it, we can't, like, for all issues, it can't just be a blanket, you know, where it's like, no this or yes this, right? It's got to be not just a case-by-case, case, but, like, a scenario-by-scenario scenario and sometimes year-by-year year yeah. situation, right? Like, because even if you looked at the Palestine-Israel conflict of 1948, it looks way different than mm. what we look at. Or even 98, it yeah. looks way different than what we're looking at now. And I think it's also big to point out, this is different than the times when the U.S. has tried to install 
a fascist dictator because they've right. also done that. And oh, I feel South like, America is full of that. Exactly. Right. Yeah, so yeah. I feel like there's a difference between a military intervention where you are actually trying to set up a dem- democratic state that might partially fail like Afghanistan did. That's hugely different. Like I, I, I believe that the U.S. tried, didn't try to install uh, a fascist dictator ally, but actually try to build something up. And I think corruption is something that's going to happen in these developing countries uh, when you have access to foreign resources. Yep. And that's, I don't think there's an easy solution to that. So I feel like the you had to take that poison pill while trying to advance progress. So. But I think there's different forms of military we, intervention. Where we pick and choose where we do that is so like exactly, and I agree. I mean, with like, that look at Haiti. Haiti has millions of people, and yeah. like, there's no talk really of us like having any military intervention in yeah. Haiti to do anything, yeah. and they're like suffering just yeah. over and over and yeah. over and over again. But you know, a lot of that's natural disasters, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And now they're a lot of it is not goddamn. natural disasters. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And it's like, um, but you know. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of countries in the world, and all of them have some fucked up shit. Mm-hmm. And like, we obviously aren't fair in where we pick and choose where we like go in. Yeah. And literally, like, people could probably not even name like five African countries and can name the entire Middle Nambia. East. <laughs> yeah, but people can name the entire Middle East because that's like where our wars have been. Don't staged, you Tucker Carlson our audience? Remember Tucker Carlson did that to me? What? He made me name the countries on the Muslim ban. <laughs> he did. Yeah, and I said <laughs> Turkey, and then he was like. Hey, <laughs> no! <laughs> you gotta look that shit up, bro. <laughs> well, now I know. Okay. Well, <laughs> fucking Tucker. Well, this is a great conversation, and ultimately, my heart is with the Afghani people. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people who are still living in fear, who, women who are afraid to leave their houses. And there's also still states that are fighting in resistance to the Taliban. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. a safe place right now. And yeah. I do. And we will boycott the Taliban Olympics. God damn, I hate you. Greg, how fucking dare you? I, I really can't end on a positive note after that. But again, thoughts and prayers. Love you all. Thank you for listening. And see you later, neighbor. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? We will. Right, won't we? So inappropriate. (laughs) It's true. You're the worst. (laughs) Would you go to the Taliban Olympics? You are the fucking worst. You brought up the Taliban Olympics. It's Uh, been funny to me. Time place, man. But you literally brought up the Taliban Olympics. (laughs) It's been on my mind since you brought it up. Your Neighborhood Black Friends is brought to you by Kelly's Olympian on Southwest 4th and Washington. Learn more about Kelly's at kellysolympian.com. Financial support is also provided by Underdog Law Office. Learn more about Underdog Law Office at underdoglawyer.com. Our music is by Donovan Breakwater. Branding designed by Lindsay Hoft. This episode was recorded by Brian Woolen and mixed by Nalene Silva. And we are produced by me, Chris Walsmith. Thank you so much to this week's guest, Tyrone Poole. Thank you to our Patreon. And of course, thank you to everyone out there for listening. 